Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number seven. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. All right, automotive enthusiasts, I am extremely excited to introduce my special guest today, Sam Mamolo. Sam, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go, Mark. All right, here we go. Sam has spent the last 45 plus years as an automotive professional and has over 25 years of continuous radio broadcasting under his belt. The last 20 plus years, Sam has been an executive producer and co-host on numerous television shows. He also has over 18 years as an associate editor and automotive writer. He's been a television personality on numerous automotive TV shows, including Two Guys Garage, Crank and Chrome, and Shade Tree Mechanic. As if all that wasn't enough, Sam produces the Sam's Garage website. He's the associate editor for Dodge Turbo Diesel Register, the host of Sam's Garage, a live nationally syndicated radio show that's been on the air for over 12 years. He's an ASE certified master auto technician and a member of SAE. Whew, holy cow. Well, Sam, I've told the listeners a little about you, so take a moment and share a little more about you, your business, and your passion for automobiles. Well, you know, I have been around a long time, Mark, and uh, and it goes back to I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, in a section of Boston called East Boston, which was an Italian ethnic section. And in Boston, you know, the north end of Boston has always been considered Little Italy and the real Italian ethnic section. But realistically... Across the water, through the tube. If you're familiar with Boston, you go through the tunnel or over the bridge to get there. And I grew up in a poor neighborhood where fortunate people had a car. You know, the average person didn't have a car. And when you had a car, let's say it wasn't the best in the market. My dad was a jack of all trades, pretty fair mechanic. And we had, you know, he was a Buick guy. We grew up with Roadmasters and Specials and Supers. And when dad would say, all right, we're going to go to New Hampshire, which was a big trip back then. You know, probably an hour and a half, two-hour drive. We'd get the Buick and go pack the wheel bearings. That's back in the day, by the way, when front wheel bearings were ball bearings, not taper bearings. <laughs> okay. Adjust the brakes, you know. So I, I did a lot of stuff with my dad, who was, you know, like I said, he was not a skilled auto mechanic, but could fix just about anything. And I went on to have a love of cars all through high school. When I was 14, I got my first car, uh, which was a stove bolt Chevy, a little 52 Chevy. It was given to me by my oldest sister's boyfriend because he just got out of college, bought himself a real car, gave me this thing that didn't run. But I was excited. It was what they called a fishtail back in those days. A sedanette is what it's known as. And I took the engine all apart. And I really made a big pile of pieces, never put it back together right. So it was time to move on. And I, I bought a hot rod, kind of a flathead Ford. And, you know, I decided I needed some real training. So I went to school in Boston. I went to Wentworth Institute and a little bit of Franklin Institute in Boston. Worked as a mechanic. After school, I worked in a gas station. Started off changing oil, breaking tires, and eventually uh, the boss moved me up to brakes and tune up, that kind of stuff. And then I spent my life, and you know, in Boston, in New England in general, it's big foreign car country. There were more foreign cars up there per capita than probably most places. I actually got a job in a Jaguar mechan- uh, shop, and I worked on Jaguars. Uh, they sent me to factory schools. I worked on Alfa Romeos, Lotus, the whole Rover, Humber, Vandenplas, Armstrong, Siddeley Group. And I got to work on, you know, Toyotas and stuff, too. I actually worked in a dealership that had Toyotas back in 1966. Oh, goodness. That's ways back. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
But anyway, uh, you know, I love foreign cars. I did Aston Martins and uh, the early ones like the DB4s, DB5s, and did some Maseratis. I restored a Mistral Coupe. I've gone, you know, along with my career, independent shops, dealerships, had my own shop. I uh, did a little racing for a while. I had a 55 Chevy in the early 60s, not too long after I got my license, and it was a, a D-gas car that I used to run at a drag strip at Sanford, Maine. Before there was New England Dragway in Epping, we used to race on a sanctioned track that was an old Air Force base. And, you know, you had a helmet, a fire extinguisher, a drive shaft loop, a burp cam for the radiator, and that was it. I mean, there wasn't a lot of safety stuff, but, you know, set of slicks, traction bars, and I'll never forget when I broke 15 seconds, I thought I was the fastest guy on the planet. <laughs> and you were then. Well, yeah, now you can buy a Honda to go 12 seconds from the factory. But, you know, I, I did that, and then I moved into open-wheel racing. I realized I was not a road course driver or open-wheel driver, but I bought a car. Uh, I got hooked up with a guy that worked with me at the Jaguar facility, and a British kid named Brian Morton, and he had a Crosley. And I bought this Lola T340, took him out of his Crosley, which wasn't much of a car, put him in my car. He went to Bertle Roost Driving School, and in that same location where we worked on Jags, both he and I worked for a guy you probably heard of, Skip Bobber. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I worked on his car because he based... He was an independent. His base of operations was Anderson Foreign Motors Auto Lab Imports, where Brian and I worked. But, you know, we had a successful three or four years together with the Lola T340 with a Gold Series Titan motor in it. And, uh, you know, we raced in New England tracks, Lime Rock, Brian Motorsport Park, which is now NASCAR track in Loudoun. That was a wonderful road course. That was home of the AMA uh, Summer Nationals. And so we did a lot of racing with Road America, Mid-Ohio, uh, came to Atlanta to the runoffs one time on, on an invitation. And then I, I got a job with Saab, the Swedish car people, at a dealership level. And I worked with a guy that was a genius, Jerry Smith. He taught me a lot. And see, that's where I've, I think my life has been really good. I've worked with some of the best. And I was always humble. They took me under their wings. And I've learned from some of the best guys in the business. And I was doing a great job at a dealership level. When a guy from the factory called me up and said, you need to come to work for us. We need a troubleshooter. And that's my first corporate job. I worked wholesale for Saab. I was a division service manager. I took the whole West Coast. I traveled all your part of the world. I did what was considered the Bay Area. I did Idaho, Montana, Utah, Nevada, Northern California, Washington, Oregon. Alaska was in my territory, but I never went there. I said somebody else. <laughs> well, you know, Alaska's a great place. I hired a guy out of Virginia named Phil Kusick. Good technician. He went up there and I lost him. Because you understand, back in those days, there were no fax. There were no cell phones. There weren't even pages back then. And when I worked for Saab, we used what was called a telex. He would go off into the woods and I'd lose him for months at a time. And then I'd get a phone call. He loved Alaska. Found a girl, married, and stayed in Alaska. Never came back. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's been my automotive career. And then, um, uh, you know, I've owned my own independent shop. And back in 1988... January of 88, I got a call from a local radio station here in Atlanta, a big station, WGST, which was part of J-Corps Broadcasting at the time, eventually became Clear Channel, asked me to do a, a consumer call-in car show. I had no aspirations, by the way, that broadcasting, whether it be radio or TV, was the furthest thing from my mind. I love cars. I got up every day and fixed cars, and that was my life. So anyway, I went to this little radio station, uh, not little, but they were a 50,000-watt daytimer here in Atlanta. And, um, you know, I started doing that show, and that was 25 years ago. <laughs> Never looked back. Now, 20 years ago, I uh, started my own syndicated show, Sam's Garage, which is still on today. Uh, November will be 20 years. 
Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, this, we own the production company. We have our own little network. Myself and a couple of guys that are the radio geniuses behind the scenes know how to push all the buttons. When I had my shop and I was doing radio, it was working out pretty good. Back in about 1991, 92, I got a phone call out of the blue one day from a talent agency of all things. And they said a guy wanted to talk to me. And I went over and spoke with him, not having a clue what this was all about. And he propositioned me with a TV show. And I said, look, I have full-time shop. I got 6,000 square feet, six employees. Uh, you know, it's a busy shop. I'm really good at what I do, except for managing. I'm not a good delegator. So when I'm there, the place rocks and rolls. When I leave, the place falls apart. So the the idea of being out of the shop for six, seven, eight days a month, that you, know, you only open 23 days a month, that was just not my cup of tea. But anyway, this guy was a good salesman, and he signed me up. And it turns out that on the other end, uh, was Dave Bowman. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and this is what it was all about. Dave Bowman, I would love to take credit, by the way, for inventing Shade Tree Mechanic because it was an, it took a long time, about three years before we got a dot on the map, but it became hugely successful. It was almost a cult-like following, and for good reason. We had the best production company on the planet, Cinetel Productions. The show was very informative, very instructional. The business has changed a lot, so you won't ever duplicate that again. We were in the right place at the right time. This was Dave's brainchild. He knew that America was right for a really good how-to car show, kind of on the idea of this old house with Bob Vila, except cars. Mm -hmm. And so I met Dave. We actually got picked up at an airport in Knoxville, Tennessee one night, driven by a PA, a production assistant, to our hotel, said goodnight to each other, get up the next morning, had breakfast, and within two hours, we were in uniform shooting our first TV show. Oh, yes. And you know, uh, I just had Dave on the show a couple days ago, so he shared some of this story as well. So uh, pretty amazing that you guys came together, and then all of a sudden, after breakfast, you're in business together. And that was how many years ago? Uh, 1992, so you can do the math. 22 oh, oh years. my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And you know, uh, Dave's career and my career pretty much paralleled each other, with one exception. He was more racer oriented you know you know all about his indie car stuff and so on and i tell you i know a lot of people in the racing business but there is nobody that is more of an encyclopedia of racing than dave bowman that guy never ceases to amaze me with you know names of the third place winner 42 years ago what his crew chief's wife name was dave knows it all he's the google of racing yeah he's a great guy he really is he is obviously a relationship now you know we have spent more time together than probably we've spent with our wives in 22 years. <laughs> well, when you're working on the road, that's true. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Amazing stories and so much fun. And, and I'm so fortunate to know both you guys. And I've spent some time with you guys working on some shows. And it's just, you guys are so much fun. And I can really tell after all those years, you, you guys are still such good buddies. And you get along so well. And you just kind of know what each other is going to do. Yeah. You know, Dave and I... Like I said, our chemistry worked. We just clicked, and we appreciate each other. We lean on each other's strengths and help each other out with our weaknesses. If, you know, we just make a great team, and it's co sort of like, you know, a guy that's a comic, and he has a straight man. Well, Dave is like the lead and does all the talking, and 
and I'm the straight guy that, you know, I always tell people and they say, what's your role on TV? I said, I go behind the horse with the shovel. <laughs> I'm sure Dave's laughing right now when he, when he hears that. That's wonderful. This part of the show, I always like to ask, talk a little bit actually about your journey and, and start it with a success quote. And I wonder if you could share with our listeners a success quote that's meant something in your life. And in addition to that, how did you take that and incorporate it into your business, your life? You know, being an auto mechanic, um, and by the way, I taught for 10 years. I worked for an equipment company where I got to teach technicians, mostly scope analysis, waveform analysis, bore gas analysis, that kind of stuff. You know, everybody's heard this quote before, but a guy said to me one day, it doesn't really matter what you do. As long as you're the best at it, even if you're just shining shoes, you're successful if you like what you do. If you look at jobs and you see ratings of the esteem a particular job has, auto mechanics were never held in the highest of esteem. And we've been referred to as grease monkeys. Now, a lot of that perception has changed because of new cars. I mean, these guys, that really the real deal that can fix a new car, they're scientists. I mean, they're not only electronically strong, computer strong. I mean, if you go into a service bay today, they're plugging into your onboard computer, which is hooked to like 35 different modules. They're using wireless technology with a laptop in the bay. This is not some guy slapping grease on a ball joint. So I took that to heart and I said, you know, I really like what I do. Yeah, it's dirty. I just said, you know, I'm going to be the best I can and always try to bring up the image of auto mechanics. I was good at what I did. I know several people that were good at what they do and I worked with. For example, Skip Barber's mechanic was a guy named Terry Secker. He was very smart. He was the FIA mechanic of the year two years in a row internationally. That's a big honor. They don't just throw that around. And you know the politics involved in that stuff. When I taught, the first thing I started in my class was don't come to class. Grease up your armpits. There's no need to do that. Tuck your shirt in. Don't wear a hat backwards if you're going to wear a hat at all. Because I would tell these auto mechanics, and these are guys, they did ASE training and stuff. If you're going to have a better job and you want people to respect you, the only one that can bring the mechanic, the auto mechanics or auto technicians, whatever you want to call them, up in the public stature is they do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, now, you know, we don't have $3,000 cars anymore. You know, cars are $60,000, $80,000. And some guy drives in and he's got, let's say, a new Lexus GS460, pearl outside, got a tan interior. The guy's got grease on his shoes and his pants. He's not letting them climb in that car. So you know how it is. You know, you know about real high-dollar cars. You know, you're an expert in your own right with that stuff. You know, for an example, I, at the Jag dealership, I worked on a car that was owned by a British Royal Marine, one of the first Harrier pilots ever. His name was Terry Dewey. He had an E-Type, 4-2 E-Type. He wore booties when he drove his car. When he would bring it in for service, he would come over to my bay. I would sit on the car in the, in the seat, my feet up, pull off my work boots. He gave me a set of strap-on booties so I could get in his car and drive it for the road test. Wonderful. <laughs> That's great. Sam, I wondered if you'd share with us a story that really instigated your passion for cars, maybe a pivotal moment that made you an automotive enthusiast, that moment in your life when you realize, I'm a car guy. Well, like I said, growing up in a poor neighborhood where a lot of people didn't have cars and, and some of the cars were pretty ragged, I don't know, I just kind of liked cars. And I had an uncle who was um, married to my mother's sister. His name was John Polino. But he worked for a company called Life Bread, which was a New England company. The bakery was called Hathaway Bakeries. Everybody knew. He was a door-to-door 
you know, delivery guy, delivered bread off one of those bread trucks. They called him Johnny Life. He was so well known. Johnny Life. Johnny Life, because he, he brought in Life Bread. Oh. That's, that's back when bread was in wax paper, and it had a big cloud on the side, and it just says Life Bread by Hathaway Bakers. Well, Hathaway Bakers had some union problems, and they decided the old man was getting old. So they, they closed the bakery. So my uncle went to Sunbeam Bread, who was not in New England at the time, and said, if you'll treat me right, I'll put you. He already had the distribution. He says, I'll put you in every store in New England. They thought he was crazy. They gave him the job. He ended up, when he passed away, by the way, he was a senior president, senior vice president of uh, my bread baking company, which is the Sunbeam people in all of New England. But he always had a nice car. My uncle was like John Wayne, handsome guy. When he came out of the Army in World War II, he had a 46 or 47 Buick sedan, that two-tone, straight eight, the whole gamut, first two-tone car I'd ever seen. I rode in that car and said, this is what I want to do. I want to have a nice car. And the only way I'm going to get it is, is to either work on it, work on cars and make some money, or build it myself. And I got motivated to stop taking cars apart and putting them together. That was it. That was the moment. That's wonderful. Could you share with us and, and share with our listeners a big challenge that you faced, whether it be in business or maybe a specific automotive project that really pushed you past your breaking point? You know, our listeners like to hear about failures because they really want to hear more about how you overcame that situation and how you came out of it. You know, we don't have enough time to list my failures. Well, maybe just one you could share with us that really sticks in your mind, but it was something that you were about ready to just throw in the towel, but then you found a way to come out of it and what that was. Those kinds of inspirational stories really do a lot for people. You know, most of the time, just like in life, you know, the decisions you make will pretty much stay with you. If you make a bad decision, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, and we all make good decisions. We all make bad decisions. You know, I built a really expensive, high-performance engine for myself, for a show truck one time, with the best of everything. And, you know, it's one of these things. I was taking my time, trying not to be rushed. But, you know, you get bothered by phone calls and, and interruptions. I had the engine upside down on the stand, pretty much ready to go. I was getting ready to put the, I put the oil pump in. And I put the oil pump bolt in to hold it in. It was a Chevrolet motor. And I got distracted. I think it was a phone call, if I remember right, many years ago. doesn't matter. I came back. And where was I? So I got the oil pump in. Time for the oil pan. So I put the gasket and put the pan on, talked it down. Got this engine all set to go on a test, test stand. And luckily, I had not put it in the vehicle yet because the vehicle had a lot of polish, a lot of chrome, wonderful paint. I don't believe in, I don't like those spin oilers. I use an air over hydraulic oiler. Oiled it all up good with this air over hydraulic, looking at the oil coming up the push rods and getting on the rocker arms, watching the oil pressure on the gauge. So now I know I'm not going to have a dry start. And then, of course, the first thing I did was crank it on the stand with the ignition off to build a little oil pressure. Well, there was none. And I was there was also a little deadline involved here. This is long before the drama TV where, you know, we got to rebuild this Corvette in a week type stuff. So I'm looking at it, and I said, cranked it a little bit more, and I said, well, I don't have any oil pressure. So what are your options? Oil pump's not turning, pressure relief valve stuck, whatever. I'm trying to think of all these things. So I took the distributor out, and I did put one of those oilers that you spin with the drill that drives the oil pump. I spun it and spun it, figuring I got an air pocket. I've got oil in the engine. This has got to work. No. And this engine, by the way, was powder-coated, lots of polish, all chrome, ARP fasteners, polished stainless, the whole thing. So to take it apart was going to mean some unavoidable cosmetic damage and in a show vehicle that's a problem but i drained the oil i flipped it on its back pulled the pan off it 
I hadn't tightened the oil pump bolt, so the oil pump was not seated against the block. It was drawing air rather than pulling oil. I tightened the bolt up, put the pan back on, rolled it over, bang, fired it up. Everything was great. So, you know, I have a temper, but I've learned over the years to just not stress out. And as you get older, you know, like guys my age now, the thing that takes them, takes them away and makes them go in the ground is they don't sleep and they have too much stress. You need to manage your stress. And I've learned over the years that as long as you're having fun, nothing else matters. That's absolutely right. That's what we're trying to do on this show is have some fun and obviously be inspired by people like you. So thanks for sharing that. I have a feeling as this show progresses, I'm going to hear a lot of those engine stories. In fact, I interviewed Jonathan Ward yesterday of Icon, exact similar type story with a car that had an issue with a distributor, thought this other distributor would work, put it on the car, took it out, and kablam, blew up the motor. So uh, I think that's a, a common thing. And I believe he said something about stress, too. So that's great advice. Sam, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum and share a story when you had one of those aha moments in your business, your career, and the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a viable business or project. Well, one of the things that, like I told you, I went to work for a company that's now defunct um, because that whole market went away and through acquisition, the company disappeared. But it was called Allen Test Products, very well known and very successful. Um, they made automotive diagnostic test equipment. Now, Everybody knows Sun, Sun Electric out of uh, Crystal Lake. They were big in the schools and the military. Sun had a tremendous sales force, and they were well-known. They had pretty nice equipment, but the Allen equipment was cutting edge and could walk all over it. Never had a real sales force or anyone to head the company until a guy named Ed Cohen came along, who was the president of Allen. He was a, uh, a real visionary, a hard charger, tough as nails, but fair, and he hired me to do some technical training. And one of the things that we did at Allen Test Products, we had the whole program. Because we were going into everyday garages, not only dealership level, but independents. And let's say this was in, you know, the, the mid-80s. I started with them about 1981, I guess, 82. Um, we're talking about a piece of equipment at that time that cost $25,000, which is more than some people's houses back then, particularly in rural areas. And we would sell them this piece of salesman would sell this piece of equipment. We had a captive lease company, so you went and it's sort of like buying a motorhome today. It's only seven hundred bucks a month. You never know that the thing costs thirty grand. Seven hundred bucks a month, uh, and the guy would buy it. And of course, at the end of the lease for a buck, he purchased it. But Allen had a good piece of equipment, but they also had the best first person, first party technical support, not only in repairing the machines and servicing them, but in technical training. And that was my department. So one of the things I did was. I would have classes four nights a week, some weekends. I'd have 25, 30 guys in a class at a time. And my goal was to do something to make sure that they were able to make their lease payments. And the way they could make lease payments is if we had a marketing plan that was a very legitimate, no baloney marketing plan that was simple, very simple. And let's say back in the day to hook up and do a complete analysis on a vehicle was the price was thirty nine ninety five. Okay, less than 40 bucks. And we figured the garage was open 22 days a month. If you did 1.2 diagnosis per day and you did nothing else in 22 days, you had your lease payment. So that was what we wanted them to do. Now, this thing, when it did a diagnosis, the machine was the first artificial intelligence. It was a computer. It was based on an old 8088 Intel back in the day. Uh, but nobody had computers in the shop. This thing had a hard drive and the whole deal. If they would follow the program, they would be immensely successful. With that being said, 
these guys didn't use it like they were trained. They used it when they couldn't fix the car, last resort, drag the machine out of the corner, hook it up, and try to make it work. It'll never pay for itself that way. I'll make you any money. So, you know, I would that what I would teach. Follow what I say, do what I say. Do and of course, I would always have the guy in class that said, you know, I got it sitting in the corner, 725 bucks a month, and they moan and wasted and this and that. You're a teacher. You're not in the real world. You don't know what it takes and this and that. And I heard this over and over. And you know the old story. If you hear something long enough, it becomes truth. You know, I just kept fighting the battle. When I opened my own shop, um, I had a pretty good reputation being a technical troubleshooter in the field. Sun Electric came to me and said, their top-of-the-line machine was called the interrogator. It even talked to you. $30,000 box. I said, we'll put one in here for free if you'll allow us to use you in advertising. So I'm, I'm opening up a shop. I'm, you know, rent-leasing this building, building it out. We're spending a ton of money. I said to my wife, here's our options. I can get a Sun $30,000 analyzer for free. It'll be a demo. They'll rotate it out every 60 to 90 days. All I have to do is let them use my name that I'm using the equipment. Or what I really want to do is have an Allen diagnostic equipment that's called a smart engine analyzer, the SEA, because I, I know it, I know it works, and I know it's far superior. She said, well, what's stopping you from getting the Allen? I said, the bums at Allen won't give me a break. <laughs> they would not give me a discount. I had to spend $30,000. So we're opening a business, spending a lot of money, and I can have brand A for free, brand B for $30,000. You know, it's a very hard decision. And my wife said, you got to go with your gut. She's very supportive. And I said, I know what I, I, know what I have to do. I think that's uh, astute. Yeah, go with your gut. And I've heard that over and over again. So, hey, Sam, is there a car that you've had in your past that you really have some seller's remorse over that you wish you hadn't let it go? Oh, of course. We all have. Well, if you if you only had to pick one, can you think of one that really tugs on your heartstrings? Yes, I had a 37 Ford five-window coupe, black, flathead, 60-horse, uh, three-speed on the floor. A wonderful car. In New England, especially in the fall days, the windshield rolled out at the bottom. It actually had a locking steering column. It had a little tab on the side of the column where you put the key in. Sweetest little car. Drum brake car. Didn't even have seal beams. Even today, I think the 37 Ford Coupe is the prettiest car that Ford ever built. And in black, it's just a gorgeous little car. It was well-balanced, easy to work on, fun to drive. And I made a hot rod out of it. I put an Oldsmobile engine in it, and which kept eating up the transmission. So you had to put Zephyr gears in it. And I mean, just on and on and on. And then I had created a monster that would, couldn't idle, couldn't go slow in, had drum brakes, we couldn't stop it. You know, old bias ply tires, so just horrible. And so I had a rocket ship was dangerous to drive but i wish i had that car back in its flathead i would drive it today like that <laughs> that's great sounds wonderful would you share with our listeners a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up well, you know in, in the business i have between doing radio and television and i guess this is one big excuse but i travel a lot i'm not home a lot and I have a lot of stuff to maintain here at house. And I'm between two houses. I'm building a new shop. I have a 38 GMC long long bed pickup truck, which is a pro street truck. You know, it's got the 18 and a half inch wide hoosiers on the back, a narrowed 1971 XKE rear end, which was really a nice rear end back then. That's a Dana with the coarse splines. It's a nice rear end. You know, it's got a 355 Chevy motor in it. Turbo 350 Trans, custom-made chassis, independent front suspension, disc brakes all the way around. Nice truck. I bought this truck. It was an old hot rod built by a guy that was a machinist. He paid someone to do paint and body. It was actually a pretty nice little truck, but it had been done for a long time, and it really needed some freshening up. I bought the truck right, and then I proceeded to have a little wreck with it. 
Oh, no. Another one of those little mistakes that we don't want to talk about. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Well, I started working on it and I took it off the frame. It's sitting on a rotisserie now. I'm teaching myself paint and body. I've welded up the seams and straightened it all out. It's getting pretty close to paint. And that truck will be real. It's got a four and a half inch chop. It's fun to drive. You know, it's got air, heat, tilt, stereo, the whole thing. So I'm excited about getting that back together. Oh, I can't wait to see that. And you talked about your new shop a little bit. I've been following pictures you've been posting on Facebook. That looks like it'll be be great. So when I can get to Atlanta one day, I want to come and can see you there. Well, I'd love to have you. I'd love to show you around. And uh, yeah, that's been a good experience. I, I lucked out with the people that built it. They were wonderful uh, it's in a nice part of the world. And that's where I'm going to eventually retire to. I got a nice little four acre place, got a small house on it. Mm-hmm. Got a, a 600 square foot log cabin as a guest home on the same property, a running stream. It's loaded with deer and fox and turkey. So we can hunt from the back porch. Well, it sounds like fun. I'll make sure uh, I set a date to come and visit you when you get that all done. We're coming into what I, one of my favorite parts of the show, I call it the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some quick blip of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? That's really tough. <laughs> best automotive advice I've ever received. You know, the best advice I've gotten is that when it comes to, and you know, my, my thing is obviously is hot rods and, and even classic cars, but the best advice I've gotten is you can buy one a lot cheaper than you can build one, and that's true. Okay, that's a perfect answer. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Yeah, my mother always told me it only takes this much, just a little bit, to be nice and put a smile on somebody's day. I go out of my way all the time, and I've learned that this is this rewards me dramatically, comes back to me all the time. I treat people right. I treat people, all people with respect. You know, I just try to make, if I see somebody not having a good day, I try to make them smile. Well, that's tremendous. And, and don't moms have all those great words of wisdom for us as we grow up? And if you can grab onto those and, and use them throughout your life, they're usually pretty darn good. So uh, thanks to all the moms out there. Yeah, she steered me in the right direction, no doubt about it. Do you have a resource that you would like to share with our listeners, maybe a supplier, a restoration shop, a website that you really like going to? I have a good friend, and his name is Al, and he runs a place called Easy Run Engine Test Stands. His website is easy-run.com. It's a wonderful product, best in the business, made in America by Americans. He's a Vietnam vet. It's a wonderful product, and like I said, on that engine I was building, on a stand, you run the engine. You know what a test stand is. You run it, and that way you know you got no leaks, no bangs, no no nothing. And when you so when you dial it all in, break in the cam, set it all up, because you can run it for hours. It has a great cooling system, the whole thing. And if you want to see a good video of me, an enactment, I actually had a big block Cadillac to do for a guy. So that video, maybe in an edited form, is on his website. Easy run engine test stand. If you're a club, if you're a shop that builds engines and puts them in cars, for God's sake, run it first. You can take it off the easy run stand, put it in the car, hook up the wires, and drive it to Chicago. You know, there's a lot of good young builders in this uh, hot rod custom car business. You know, and I don't want to offend anybody by leaving them out, but I'm really a fan of old Buicks and Cadillacs. And Chris Ryan, uh, out of 96 South Carolina, the name of the town, 96, he built the Fat Caddy, he built the Root Bear Float, and he's now building one for his lovely wife, Lori. They have a very, very interesting house they just built that all I can tell you is if you drove up to it, you'd pull up beside it and order a hamburger. Oh, oh wonderful. Drive-in house, drive-in diner house. It is gorgeous. 
And then there's a young man I met mm, three, four years ago, five years ago at the F100 Super Nationals, which I host up in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is an all-forward show, as you could tell by its name. But it's just, this kid is just unbelievable. It's Steve's Auto Restoration. He's up by Utica, Syracuse, upstate New York. And he debuted a truck. He's a young man. When I say young, scary young. This truck was powered by natural gas. It was a hot rod, uh, you know, like a, an F100, like a 1954, 55. I forget exactly. The truck was outstanding. It had, you know, suicide door, tilt bed. What was really interesting is that most of the truck was covered with real sheets of copper. Oh, my gosh. Yes. In fact, I believe this truck was in Ford's display at SEMA, but... He's up there in upstate New York. Nice kid. He just two years ago built a new shop. He's invited me up. He uh, displays at the Syracuse Nationals. He's a really nice kid, wholesome as can be. And he started off doing body work in his mother's garage when he was in high school. She didn't discourage him. And now he's probably, you know, one of the top builders in the country and just a great guy. Super. Well, we'll make sure, listeners, that we'll post those up at uh, carsyad.com, and you can read the show notes on the website. Just type in the search bar, Sam Mamolo, and you'll find those there. Sam, is there a book that you've read recently that you'd like to share with our listeners? I do a lot of driving. I like books on tape. Oh, yeah. Audiobooks are wonderful. Yeah. So I had a, a book. This book's, you know, this was written a while back, but it's by an author. His name was uh, Cook. The book is called Toxin, T-O-X-I-N. It's a novel based on fact. Robin Cook, by the way, who interestingly enough was a, a medical doctor who turned writer. And the novel Toxin by Robin Cook, it's a long CD. I think it was eight or 10 discs, probably 10 hour drive. So if you're going cross country, I promise you, it is the most fascinating, exciting, based on the story of the young man up in the Pacific Northwest that died from E. coli. It covers the gamut from mad cow disease and all. It's, it's an awesome, awesome read or listen to. I personally love to listen to audiobooks. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks for that reference. And uh, listeners, you can go to audiobooks.com and probably download that book and listen to it and pick a nice uh, a nice trip to go on, get in your favorite ride and take that 10-hour drive and you won't want to stop to eat. Uh, it sounds like what Sam's telling us. So we're coming up at the end of the show here, Sam, to what I call the checkered flag. And this question can sometimes be a challenge for a car guy like you. And to quote a great automotive mark, it can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something that you couldn't sell to buy other cars with, you had to keep it, what would it be and why? Well, I have a friend that has what I consider the perfect hot rod. I actually have a picture of it on my cell phone because I was with him just a couple of weeks ago. We put on a little car show for the president of Avis Rent-A-Car, and it's a late 20s Rolls-Royce, four-door sedan, it looks box stock. You know, it's got a big block. It's got air steering brakes, discs. It's a wonderful road car. It'll run 120 miles an hour all day long. You could cruise the power tour with it. You could go visit your, your friends in Seattle if you lived in Boston. It's an awesome car. And it just, I'm partial to those big brass era cars with giant headlights and the big fog lights and the tip trip lights on the fenders and the big horns and, and wire wheels. It's just, and this is a limo, by the way, with the jump seats and the tow bar and the parlor rope with a, with a, I guess you'd call it velour interior. It's a cloth lamp interior. Just, just a gorgeous hot rod. If that was in my garage, I would never consider selling it. I'd probably eat lunch in it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it sounds fantastic. I'd love to see that car someday. A Rolls Royce, that's very interesting. Well, Sam, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset, and then let our listeners know what's the best way for them to learn more about you and how to get in touch. And then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, the best advice I can give is to follow your gut, do what you want to do. Don't be too busy with a job to not have a life. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I traveled so much when my kids were young. I missed some of the things. Luckily, I got that advice from a guy. I nipped that in the bud, and I, I was able to see almost all of my son's high school football games, my daughter cheerleading, those kinds of things. That's irreplaceable. This is not a dress rehearsal. You don't go back. It's a one-time deal. You're born, you live, and you die. End of the conversation. The deal is that just follow your heart, your gut, do what you want to do because when you're doing what you love to do, like me, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. My TV show is working on cars. My radio show is working on cars. And my hobby is working on cars. So the line is always blurred. I'm getting paid to do things that, that are my hobby, my, my passion. So that makes me a happy, lucky guy. Well, what you've just said is exactly why I created this show. It's all about inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You are an inspiring automotive enthusiast. And the goal here is I hope some people listen to this who maybe are working out or driving to a job that they really don't like. They could be successful at it, but it just isn't something that is around their passion like what you've done in your life. And I hope that little nudge there you gave them will push them to do exactly that. That's wonderful advice. Appreciate you sharing that. What's the best way for people to find out about what you're up to today? Well, I have a Sam's Garage radio show Facebook page and I have a website which is shadetreemechanic.com or you can go to samsgarage.com takes you to the same place we stay pretty current with that that's where my radio shows are listed you can listen to archive shows there you can click listen live if you have a radio app in your your, your mobile device like iHeartRadio or iTunes one of those things that gets radio stations you can listen to my radio show live which is every saturday morning i do three hours nine to twelve eastern time so it's a little early for you guys but i have stations in oregon washington people in california my buddy sam blanton who's from dunsmere sent me a, a happy father's day wish today he listened to the show so there's a lot that you can do like i have a facebook page but my sam's garage radio show facebook shadetreemechanic.com and then masters tv which produces our TV show. You can go to masterstv.com and they archive the shows. If you've missed shows that Dave and I have done the past three or four years, you can see them online with no club to join. Well, listeners, you can go find these links to everything we've talked about today on carsyad.com slash Sam Mamolo, or you can go to carsyad.com and enter Sam in the search bar and his show notes page will pop right up. Sam, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be with you, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!